This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I assume everyone is alive and well this morning. Amen. Amen. I've been um, coming to Cornerstone for quite a while now. In fact, I've been coming so long that I remember when we would come to church here when Tennessee had a big win. It's been a while. <laughs> but I kept coming by the grace of God. And the Lord has rewarded our faithfulness this morning, right? That's right. <laughs> Only a matter of time. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. Amen. It was so good to be with you all this morning. So good to be welcomed once again to Cornerstone to spend time with my friend uh, Bill and be reminded of God's goodness um, to us over the years. And, and so I pray even this morning that we would be reminded of just that, just how good the Lord is and how much his love abounds in our lives in ways seen and unseen and how grateful and worshipful we should be, and how we ought to be reflecting that grace and that mercy and that goodness and that love in our lives for each other. Let's meditate on that this morning in the Bible from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a very familiar passage of Scripture, no doubt. But if I might draw your attention there to the first three verses and perhaps share a little insight that might spur you on once again to contemplate and indeed rest in and then reflect the love of God. How precious and how wonderful it is. The inspired word of God reads as follows. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. <clears throat> If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's pray. How deep, oh God, is your love for us? How great and beyond measure. We stand amazed that you would give your only son to make us wayward sinners your treasure. Thank you 
this morning for loving us and reminding us how precious your love is. Bind it once again upon our hearts and our minds. Cause us to see in your love, Jesus. And may he be a new Christ to us, even as we meditate this morning upon your love. We thank you and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, it wasn't too long ago that I was at the grocery store, and as I come to the checkout, I hand the cashier a $20 bill. Uh, obviously, this was a while ago, because we... <laughs> I don't even have any $20 bills anymore. <laughs> and I handed her this $20 bill, and she took it, and she began to hold it up to the light. Now, perhaps where you live, they don't do that, but they do that where I live. And I asked her, I said, well, what, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm checking for a counterfeit. <laughs> I laughed. I said, counterfeit? People actually come in here with counterfeit money. And she said, you would be surprised. And I said, what are you looking for? And she says, well, I'm looking for the watermark. Because a watermark is what makes all the difference. Beloved, love is the watermark of Christianity. The watermark on most, most of our currency is that distinguishing mark that makes it genuine money. It's hard to duplicate. It's hard to uh, falsify. And without that watermark, that $20 bill isn't worth 20 cents. And so it also is with love. Love is the watermark of Christianity. It is that distinguishing mark of true Christianity. There is no substitute for it. Without love, your Christianity is not the worth, it's not worth the time you take to say the word Christian. Love is the single greatest virtue God's people can demonstrate and maintain. There is no higher command, no loftier goal, no greater motivation, no more glorious pursuit, no more precious gift, no more Christ-reflecting and sin-conquering virtue than love. And what is it then? Well, to ask the question of what is love is, to, is like ask, asking the question, what is air? We might have difficulty defining it, but no one wants to be without it. And when it is not there, you know it. So it is with love. And while the world has an overabundance of definitions and examples of what love is, I want to suggest 
to us this morning that when we talk about that all-surpassing love that the Scripture sets before us, that is the love of God, the love that defines the Christian life. Let us not look to the world, but let us look to the Word. Let's look to the Word of God and let the Word of God define this virtue of all virtues for us. But in doing that, let us define it by establishing what we don't mean. Because, like I said, in the world, there are various ways in which we speak about love, and all of them have some benefits in our lives. When you hear people talking about love, whether it's in novels or, or movies or in casual conversations, any number of definitions could be um, being reflected in that discourse. It may be um, love that pertains to romance or sexual attraction or a sexual expression, the idea of making love. It could be love of friendships, of, of, of brotherly and, and sisterly love for our sister or our brother or a close friend, whereby we show them how much we care and need them how precious they are to us. It could be the love that we have for inanimate objects, affections and affinity for things, things, even inordinate affection of things like you have for UT football. <laughs> and I have for golf. But none of these, none of these is sufficient. None of these is sufficient when speaking of the love that we find described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this love that is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love that defines the heart of God. And defining the heart of God, therefore, it defines the heart of Christianity. And that is the, the love that we know as agape. Agape love. The love of God in Christ Jesus. Where the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 39 that nothing can separate us from that love. From that love of God where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Agape is the love of which we speak when we discuss the virtue upon which the Christian life of faith is built. It's what the Bible is referring to when it says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 that God is love. Agape is the benevolent move of God. In attitude, affection, and action toward sinful, undeserving humanity. It is the movement of God in his affection, in his attitude, in his grace and mercy toward undeserving sinners. And it finds his ultimate ex exemplary expression in the life and death of Jesus Christ for sinners. This is what we mean 
This is what we mean. Agape is the love of God expressed in and by and through Jesus Christ. Well, John 3.16 tells us that it is in Christ. In John 15 and 13, it reminds us that it is by Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, it is through Christ. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love or agape loves him for Christ's sake. In, through, by, for Jesus. It is that attitude, affection, and action that uniquely declares that Jesus is Lord. God is love. And therefore, Love is king. Love is king. That's what Sade said. Your love is king. And I can't comment exactly on what she was talking about. But I do know, beloved, that God's love is king. And if you are a Christian this morning, you must have it. You must have it. This, this here is the true reflection and evidence of having Jesus. An unloving Christian is an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. Because in the kingdom of love, love is king. And you cannot have an unloving Christian any more than you can have a non-swimming fish. A fish that does not swim is dead. A Christian who does not love is dead as well. Actually, actually, there is, there is a fish that doesn't swim. That fish is called a mudskipper. Perhaps that's what we should call Christians who don't love. <laughs> mudskippers. And this is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. This is what he is addressing when he writes to the church in Corinth. For here was a group of Christians very much like our day. Here was a church with a lot going on. In today's time, it might be called a mega church. It might be a church with not one, but several mega pastors, it surely would advertise itself as a as one church in two or three or four locations. This is the place to be. Because they were fascinated with the famous. 
They were captivated by the charismatic. They were given over to the gifted. And because of all this, because they were so fascinated and because they were so captivated and carried away and because they were so given over to these things, there was overwhelming evidence that they lacked love. And so when Paul writes to them in the first 12 chapters, he issues the indictments. He indicts them in chapter one. He indicts them about being caught up with personalities. Chapter three, he indicts them about their immature bickering. In chapter five, he indicts them because they are tolerating sin in their midst. In chapter eight, he indicts them for flaunting their freedom. In chapter 10, he indicts them because they are binding the conscience of those who have been set free in Christ. In chapter 11, he indicts them for flaunting their wealth and their privilege. In chapter 12, he indicts them because they are overly impressed with the gifts more than they are with the gift giver. Chapters 1 through 12, he is indicting these Christians because they are neglecting their love for God and the saints. They were like us, impressed with the talented. Impressed with the powerful. Impressed with the gifted. But when the Apostle Paul gets to the end of chapter 12, he says, after all those indictments, he says in verse 31, but I will show you still a more excellent way. You have all this, but I will show you a more excellent way. And he opens chapter 13 by showing them the way of agape, the way of love. And Paul reminds them And he reminds us this morning that because of this way, whether you realize it or not, we are all talented. We are all powerful. We are all gifted. You're impressed with the talented. We're all talented. You're impressed with the powerful. We're all powerful. You're impressed with the gifted. We are all gifted. What do you mean, Paul? I mean that love is a talent we all have. And it's the greatest talent of all. See that in verse 1. 
He says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Listen, listen, beloved. The Corinthian church, like us, was impressed. They were impressed with talent, especially when that talent was associated with the supernatural. And in the Corinthian church, they were particularly impressed with the talent to speak in tongues. We're always impressed. We're always impressed with people who can speak several languages. The reason we're impressed with people who can speak several languages is because most people can't speak one. <laughs> Much less three or four. And there were those in the Corinthian church who some spoke Greek, some spoke Hebrew, some spoke Aramaic. But then there were those who spoke a different language, a heavenly language, a supernatural language. And that was really impressive. This was an unusual talent, and this was an impressive gift. But that's what talent does, doesn't it? Talent impresses. We love talent. Talent is prized in our society. And because we love talent, we celebrate it. We celebrate talent. That is why certain people are called celebrities. Because we celebrate their talent. And we love our celebrities. We want our preachers to be celebrities. If it's T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or Rick Warren or Bill Kittrell. We like our politicians to be celebrities. Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. We even have celebrity cooks. I mean, Bobby Flay and Gordon Ramsay and Alice Gonicelli. Why do I know those names? Because my wife watches these cooking shows. And they are, quote, unquote, celebrity chefs. I shouldn't even be able to pronounce Alex Garnachelli. Well, this is the world. The world is consumed. The world is consumed with celebrity and talent. Beloved, the church is too. And this is the indictment that Paul writes against the Corinthians. In chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Why follow these? Why follow these preachers? 
You follow Cephas because he's the fiery one. You follow Apollos because he is the singing preacher. You follow Paul because he's the intellectual one. These were the gifted preachers. These were the gifted speakers. These were the gifted thinkers. These were the talented. And yet Paul says the more excellent way is that no talent, whether it is speaking in heavenly languages, supernatural languages, or five to ten earthly languages, no talent is greater than the talent of love. And guess what? We all have it. We all have it. We all have it. You may not be able to rap like Jay-Z. You may not be able to play the cello like Yo-Yo Ma. You may not be able to sing like Alicia Keys or cook like Bobby Flay. You may not be able to preach like Bill or even preach like Mike. But what you can do, what you can do, beloved, is love. And in the end, that's the only talent that really matters. It's the only talent that really matters. And we all have it. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, again in verse 43, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Because everybody can love. Because everybody can love. And if greatness is measured by talent, then we all can be great because we all can love. Because love is the greatest talent of all. Love is not only a talent that we all have. But then in verse 2, Paul continues... And he says that love is a power, a strength that we have all been given. And if I have prophetic powers, he says, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Comparable, comparable to talent, in this world is strength and power. We admire it. We admire it, don't we? We envy it, don't we? We covet it, don't we? Yesterday, we were on the um, golf course. And, um, a few of us were playing, and, and Bill and I were playing, and um, my son was playing with us. And, you know, Bill and I, we're old men. 
And so we hit our drives, and then Tony steps up. And he bombs a drive that lands on the green. And I saw the covetousness in Bill's eyes. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, man, I wish I was flexible like that. Because what we do, we're impressed with strength. We're impressed with power. We envy it. We covet it. The, the physical strength of those in athletics often leave us all. The intellectual strength of those in the academy and, and business fascinates us. The spiritual strength to understand things and to move mountains impresses us. And, and what the Apostle Paul was doing when he listed these things in, in verse 2 is that he was like listing out these superpowers. He said, I know some of y'all got superpowers. You know, some of y'all can prophesy. Some of y'all can, can, can know mysteries and have this knowledge and have this supernatural faith. These are superpowers. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you, if you could suddenly become a character in a Marvel movie or a DC comic, what would you, what, what would you like to be? What power would you like to give yourself? Or perhaps you give it to your whole family so that you become the Incredibles, right? So dad would have super strength like, like, like Bob and, and mom would be able to shape, shift and stretch like Helen and, and little ones be able to become invisible like Violet or have speed like Dash or maybe even the baby can do that thing that Jack Jack does, whatever it is that Jack Jack does. I'm really not sure about that. The world becomes impressed, becomes impressed with superpowers, whether it's nations or individuals. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that while the world may be impressed with superpowers, and while most of you there in the church might be impressed with these powers, the only superpower in the kingdom of God is the power of love. It's the only one. It's the only one. More powerful than the intellect of Einstein is the power of love. More powerful than the investment savvy of Warren Buffett is the power of love. More powerful than the forehand of Serena Williams is the power of love. That's the power of love. That's what Huey Lewis said. And it don't take money, and it don't take fame. And you don't need no credit card to ride this train. That's, 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 that's the power of love. That's the power that has been given to us. That is the power that is enlightened within every Christian. As the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. The spirit of God. It is the spirit that empowers our love. And guess what, beloved? We all have it. We all have it. That is a superpower. 
And if you are trusting Christ this morning, you have it. That is the power of the cross. And you and I as Christians not only live upon it, but we live it out. Romans 5 and 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. And the strength of love, therefore, as you think about that verse, Romans 5 and 8, the strength to love comes from the fact that you have been so loved. You have been so loved. The strength to forgive comes from the fact that you have been forgiven. The strength to be gracious comes from the fact that God has been so gracious to you. That's the strength of the Spirit. That's the power of love. Can you feel it? You should, beloved. Feel the power of God in showing His love in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's the power of love. Can you feel it? Love is a strength that we all have. It is a talent that we have all been given. And lastly, love is a gift that we all can give. All of us. All of us. Anybody who is in Christ. If you are in Christ this morning, you have a superpower. It is called love. If you are in Christ this morning, you are uber talented to show forth love. And if you are in Christ, you have the gift of all gifts, which means that you can become a giver. says in verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. One of the most impressive things that people do in this world is give. <clears throat> and the more you have, the more you are expected to give. 
many years ago, Warren Buffett established what he called the giving pledge. And the giving pledge was his pledge to give away 99% of his wealth before he died. And since then, many others, many others of the world's richest people have made similar pledges, from, from Sheiks to the Rockefellers to Zuckerberg. Many have made these similar pledges. Why? Because giving is something admired all over the world. And those who have should. Giving is good. That's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is better to give than to receive. And yet, and yet, beloved, as good as giving is, and as commendable as it is in the world, giving is not enough. Bill Gates can give away all that he has until he is penniless again. And people can march in the streets and sacrifice their lives for all kinds of social issues and causes of justice. But if there is no love, if it is not done in the name of the God of love, in the end it will mean nothing. 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 The world expects those who have to give. But it also understands this. That it's hard to give what you don't have. It's hard to give what you don't have. You see, Warren Buffett didn't call me and asked me if I was interested in the giving pledge. Because, see, I already know what it's like to give away 99% of your wealth. I do it every month. It's called paying the bills. He didn't call me and ask me, did I want to make the giving pledge? Why? Because it's hard to give a dollar if all you have is 50 cents. And it's hard to give 50 cents if all you have is a dime. And it's hard to give a dime if all you have is a penny. And in the world, beloved, it is hard to give what you don't have. And in the world, there are haves and have-nots. But the kingdom of God is different. When it comes to love in the kingdom of God, there are no have-nots. There are no have-nots. We all can give because we all have been given the greatest gift of all, love. That's the giving pledge. Other Christian, that's the giving pledge. To give away what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 has been poured into me. Through the Spirit of God, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. 
the Spirit of God comes to do. To pour the love of God into our hearts. And because we have been given so much, Christians are supposed to be leading the world in the giving pledge. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about a greater gift that you have been giving. The gift of love. Are you pledging to give that love away that has been so abundantly given to you? Holy Spirit has filled our hearts with love. And if you have been loved by God this morning, then there is no excuse for not loving others. There is enough love to go around. The song says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. Well, beloved, if there is too little love, it's not because God hasn't given it to us. It's just that we're just too stingy with it. For God so loved the world, it says in John 3 and 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have been the recipient of that love of God in Christ Jesus, then it is not that there is too little love in the world. It is that we have been too little in sharing it, too little in giving it, too little, too little. That's what makes love so powerful. That's what makes love everlasting. That's why love never ceases. That's why love never fails. That's why love never ends. That's why Paul says in the end there is faith and there's hope and there's love and the greatest of these is love. Why? Because one day faith will become sight. One day, your blessed hope will appear. But there is never a day when love ever ends. And that's why love is king. That's why love is king. I want to admonish you, encourage you then that just let your love flow like a mountain stream. And let your love grow with the smallest of dreams. And let your love show. And you'll know what I mean. It's always, it's always the season. And let your love fly like a bird on a wing. And let your love bind you to all of God's things. And let your love shine. And you'll know what I mean when Jesus is the reason. That's 
what the Bible means when it says God is love. That's what the Bible means when it says they shall know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's what the Bible means. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have in your mercy and by your spirit poured your love into our lives and spread it abroad in our hearts so that we are people of love who have been loved and are called to love. We thank you for your spirit this morning as he convicts us of not loving as we should and yet encourages and empowers us to love even more. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia.